0: in the weeks to come. And so uh, please uh, grab one of those if you haven't already and uh, be reading about the accomplishments of uh, some of our teenagers. And so uh, Jeremiah 18 and Acts 1 is where we are this morning. And as we get started, uh, invite you to bow with me for a word of prayer. Holy Father, I just pray that every Every word of every song that's been sung, every word of every prayer that's been prayed this morning has all been the fragrant offering to you that it's intended to be. And Father, now as we open Holy Scripture as our guide once again, that you will allow these most ancient of words to permeate our hearts, that you will prepare us to be fertile soil for your word. That you will allow your spirit once again to clear our minds of all of life's weights, burdens, distractions. And Father, that right now we can just be present in this moment if we haven't been already. And that we can just hear your message. I pray that you be with me as the messenger That you will bless the message that has been prepared. May it be yours and yours alone. But Father, I especially ask that you bless those that are here to receive it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So in our Wednesday night class, we have been discussing the Exodus. And in looking at the Old Testament, and in looking at the Israelite nation... Because these ancient people living on the other side of the world, oftentimes reading about events that occurred thousands of years ago, it would be easy for us to say, well you know, that was them, and that was then, what does that have to do with me, what does that have to do with here and now? But something that I think bears repeating is that any time in Scripture we read about the Israelites, we can just go ahead and insert our own name right there. <clears throat> that we represent today what the Israelite nation was. People of God, but people who struggle, Right? because the israelite israelite nation struggled at times number 1 <clears throat> excuse me number 1 with trusting god and then they would also struggle with idolatry how many things in our world today how many things in our life get in the way of god sometimes we don't think that we struggle with idolatry Okay, right, we don't bow down to idols of false gods necessarily, but we have plenty of idols that get in the way between us and God. I remember I was at at Lipscomb University uh, attending a class years ago, and uh, Scott Sager, and some of you may remember Scott because he was here a few years ago, we had a men's night, and uh, And and Scott came and spoke to us. But I remember Scott pulling one of these out of his left pocket. Same place I keep mine. And he said, you know, you don't think this can be an idol? He said, just pay attention to how often you use it. Pay attention to some of the ways that you use it. Pay attention to what this item can get in the way of. And uh, I wonder how many times uh, we have sat in a room full of other people, and I myself included, and we pull that phone out and we start scrolling on it. I know of some families in here that have had that rule that, okay, no phones at the table, right? We're going to at least make it through a meal together without those distractive devices being present while we're gathering around this table as a family. And so, yeah, we struggle in our own ways with idolatry. Uh, we, we, when life gets tough, we sometimes, we often forget how God has carried us through those tough times in the past. And so the Israelites struggled with all of these things. I think that we struggle with a lot of these things today. And so I want us to read these opening verses of Jeremiah chapter 18 through that idea of that when the Lord is talking to the Israelites... He's talking to each one of us. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, "'Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does?' declares the Lord. "'Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel.'" And so, church, just insert your name there where it says Israel. He said, can I not do with you, Greg, as this potter does? Declares the Lord like clay in the hands of the potter. So are you in my hand, Greg. And every one of us can do the same thing, can't we? Insert our name right there. Now, I asked the question this morning, can you make anything? My wife just got up and left a little while ago to get ready for Children's Church, as she does every Sunday morning. Some of you all heard me talk about her before, about how she can knit stuff, how she has learned how how she can knit going down the road in, in in a dark car. She can sit and knit in a movie theater. Uh, She figured out what kind of needles, uh, knitting needles, they would allow in Bridgestone Arena. And so she would sit during a hockey game and be knitting something, I kid you not, because she likes her hands to be moving. And so she can just knit, knit, knit to her heart's content. And uh, she's knitted hats and scarves and then she knits purses and bracelets and little bowls that she throws in the washing machine and felts down and tightens up that. Knit, uh, and so they could they, they could hold things, and and she's given hats and scarves to homeless shelters in Nashville, and and she's done some good with what she's able to make. My dad was a woodworker, and I remember uh, it wasn't that long ago because. I had done a couple of funerals, and I remember thinking, you know, this is not something I want Stacy to have to do any any planning or any thinking. And so I, I met with Blake and Amanda across the street at McDonald Funeral Home, and sat down and did my little pre needs planning. They got a file on me; uh, they know who my life insurance agent is, so they're going to pay for that funeral. They, they, you know, when I went to pick out a casket, I picked one that was made out of wood because I thought, well, my Jesus was a carpenter and my dad was a woodworker. And so I'm going to pick out, you know, I got this walnut casket picked out. And so... um and so my dad. I wish I. I wish I had taken pictures of the stuff my dad had made. Uh, that that sort of is a little heartbreaking for me because he he passed in 1995. But but dad could make uh, could make kitchen cabinets. Dad could make a vanity for your for your bathroom. Dad could make gun cabinets. He made uh, he made shelves for people. When I had a clothing store, he made these oak nesting tables and. Uh, And so there's a store now in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I kind of forget when I walk in the door that, oh, yeah, and it kind of takes my breath away every time I do it. It's like, oh, I forgot about those. My dad made those. Because when I closed my store, I called him and said, hey, come and see if there's any fixtures you want. And so I walk in, and there they are. Big table that I used to display neckwear on eyes, you might say. Uh, Four by eight oak table, and my brother has that in his house now as his dining room table. And so I was at my brother's house this past December, and there I saw that table that my dad had made. Now me, I'm not a knitter, I'm not a woodworker. Some of you are laughing because you're thinking, we've seen this before. Yeah, but it's been about nine years. Me, I'm a potter. It's okay to laugh. I'm a potter, yeah. Uh, I wish they'd put the date on this. It's, it just says Gregory in very neat print on the bottom of this but yeah this was clay and I made it into a pot and I think it was kind of prophetic because we got UT orange and then we got some Lewis County gold in here on the inside not sure why I wanted to paint it orange and gold because I mean those are colors that I would not recommend people wearing at the same time Uh, but nonetheless uh, that that's what I painted it and so this was supposed to be an ashtray uh don't judge it was the 70s and a lot of people smoked back then both my parents did at the time and so uh and so yeah i made that with my own little like first grade hands or whatever it was and so uh but you know what I still use it today because in order, to, in order to bring this, I had to dump the contents out into a bag. And I was kind of amazed at how much stuff, this little, I'm going to call it now a bowl, but uh, how, much this, how much this thing held. Yeah, and then I thought to myself, you know what, as, as ugly as that might be to some people, that ugly little ashtray has stood the test of time. You know, next year it'll be a half century old. I wonder how many people have made things that didn't last 50 years. And so I had this image of myself dropping it and it breaking right here. I was like, well, okay, made it 49. But no, uh, I made that. And so uh, the clay had no choice. Uh, when I made that with my little, my little first grade hands. Uh, it had no choice. It might have wanted to be something beautiful. I didn't give it that choice. Uh, I made it into what I made it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's a case where it might have said, you know, I'd rather be like a, a bowl or a, a coffee mug or something like that. But I was the potter and it was the clay, right, church? It didn't have a choice of what I made it into, but I made it into something that lasted. I made it into something that is still useful to me because I know exactly the kind of things that I keep in there, and some of those are things that I want to keep my whole life. Some of those little mementos that I keep in that in that little bowl are things that I don't want to lose. And so those are things that while they may not be valuable to anybody else, they're valuable to me. And so we think about us being a lump of clay, and that is the title of this morning's message. We think about us being just a lump of clay. That we allow God to mold us into whatever He wants us to be. At least that should be our understanding. That should be our intention. But what do we have trouble doing? I think we often have trouble, church, letting God take control, don't we? We have trouble saying, I'm the clay and you're the potter. Make me, Lord, into whatever I need to be. Oh, dear God, it's the morning. It's another opportunity. Make me into whatever you want to be. Mold me just a little bit more on this day. We probably don't do a very good job of that, do we, if we're honest? We jump into the day. We might have our devotionals and our our things that we read. But a lot of us are probably pretty good at holding back and maintaining control of at least a part of our lives. Now, the word often used in New Testament scripture is submit. And some of you have heard me preach and teach before that, boy, submit is not a word that we like. I do people's wedding vows, and we're getting ready for their wedding, and, you know, a long time ago, not, this isn't recent, I mean, this is decades ago, people said, eh, I don't want all that, all that submit talk, okay, let's not, let's not talk about submitting, and in our culture, submit has just some overwhelmingly negative connotations, And years ago, I suggested a word that we use in place of submit. Some of you may remember me suggesting this. But that we say yield instead. That we all know what a yield sign looks like on the roadway. That we slow down, we look over our shoulder, and it means that if somebody else is coming, we let them go first. And so that we have this idea if, we, if we're not comfortable with submitting to one another as scripture teaches that we can at least get the idea of yielding to one another. But when it comes to God whether we call it submission or we call it yielding what we really need to be doing church is being willing to totally surrender. Being willing to totally say, God, I am not worthy of your gift of grace. God, thank you for having enough compassion on me, a lost sinner, that you would allow Jesus to lay down his life on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. We're a people who say, God, my life, when I take control of it myself, is a mess. But realizing this morning that even if we made that decision a long time ago to give our lives to God, that we can at least say, wait a second, there are some places in my life, some areas that I'm still holding back. I'm withholding some things. I am not giving it all to God. Because that's in our nature. It is. It's in our nature to be in control. To at least desire to be in control. And so what God is asking us is, Hey, realize that I'm the potter. You're just a lump of clay. You're on that potter's wheel and when I'm molding you and then it doesn't go right, I'm going to do what I have to do to make it right. Sometimes you might have been in those situations where you felt like, wow, I'm going through something here. And so God will put us through that refiner's fire. He will get the impurities out of us one way or another. And we can fight Him, but what are we doing? We're fighting God, and that's not a good idea. And so God saying, Israel, and therefore saying to us, I'm the potter, you're the clay, and if it's not going just right, I'm going to reshape you. I need you to be what I need you to be. And the clay doesn't look back up at the potter and say, No, no, that's not what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look different. We have to realize we don't have that right. I want to look in Acts chapter 1 and uh, someone who undoubtedly let God mold him. Someone that is only briefly mentioned in the New Testament. In the first chapter of Acts, we see that uh, they're gathered around, uh, gathered around Jesus. And uh, they're thinking now, uh, is this the time? You read that in verse 6. Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom? And of course, even after all this, uh, those apostles, they still don't quite get it. And I, I, I want to be sympathetic with those guys because I feel like if, uh, if I was among those, those 11 that were remaining, that, that I would have still maybe been a little thick, that I would have uh, had trouble fully understanding what it really meant to be part of God's kingdom and what the plan was. <clears throat> And so what they witnessed there in Acts chapter 1 is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Verse 10 of Acts 1, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And isn't that one of those biblical promises that is just so beautiful, church? That Jesus someday will come back. It might be this afternoon. It may not be in any of our lifetimes. We do not know. But we know that God keeps his promises. And so we read on that, that um, the apostles uh, returned to Jerusalem uh, from the hill known as the Mount of Olives. And we skip down to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about hundred and twenty. And said brothers and sisters the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, Acheldama—that that is, field of blood." For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, if I'm not mistaken... We will not see Matthias's name mentioned in New Testament Scripture again. That is the only time we'd see it mentioned. But what do we know about Matthias? Well, that when, when Peter stands up before that group of believers, 120, okay, a group not terribly different in number than the group that's gathered here this morning, and so he says to them, hey, y'all, We need to put someone else in the place of Judas. Judas committed an act of wickedness, and so he's not with us anymore. And of the people that are gathered here, it needs to be somebody who was with us from the beginning, who was with Jesus during his entire ministry. From the baptism in the Jordan up until now. And so we know that Matthias, someone that we had not heard of previously, was with them the whole time, it sounds like. That he walked along, that he witnessed those miracles, that he listened to the sermons, he listened to the teaching. That he was there when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. That he was there when Jesus delivered what is known as the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. And so that he was there knowing what Jesus was teaching, knowing what this was all about. There, a follower, a disciple, someone who said, take me Lord and shape me however you need me to be. He wasn't named among the twelve initially, but he was someone who, who was drawn to Jesus in a way that he was there the whole time. Didn't have a title, didn't have a designation like some of the others, but he was there all the time serving and learning in acting out a faithful obedience to his Lord someone who didn't lose faith when a lot of those people who had been there for the sermons, the teachings the miracles the signs and wonders and now they're nowhere to be found Because the group Peter's standing up in front of is only 120. It's about like this right here. Those were the people who were faithful to the end at that time. Now we know that they're about to start growing like crazy. We know that at Pentecost there's going to be 3,000 new brothers and sisters. And we know that reading on from the book of Acts that once persecution breaks out and they scatter, that we now know Matthias is one of those apostles. Where he went, we can't be completely sure. But he was one of those that went somewhere and told people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died for my sins, but he also died for your sins. And this is how you can become a child of God through the blood of Jesus. And so I submit to us today that we need to be people who will simply follow Jesus. That we will be people even without a designation or a title, that we will be people who are faithful, that we will be people who in our own way tell others about Jesus, that we first of all live it as an example, and then when the opportunity is presented, that we say, well, this is why I am who I am. It's only because of the sweet blood of Christ Jesus. It's only because God had compassion on me just like He has you and loved me enough that He sent His one and only Son, allowed Him to lay down His life on the cross for every member of humanity if we will only acknowledge Him as the Son of God and as Lord of our life. In Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Church family, whether we feel like God has made us for special purposes or for common use, at the end of the day, we are made for some use, for some purpose. Let's be surrendering to God and letting Him shape us and mold us however He needs to. Let's be surrendering to God and saying each day, Dear Lord, guide my steps. Lead me where you need me to go. And give me the words to say. We do that. And the sky's the limit as to what He will shape us into. Where He will lead us and what he will give us the words to say in front of people that we might have never imagined. We have no idea until we submit to God. But let's not forget, what did they do? What did those apostles do? What did those disciples do when Peter said, we need to find someone to take his place? Because they wanted there to be 12. That was a number of completion to them. The same number as the tribes of Israel. And so they turned to God in prayer. Let's not forget that, church. How do we seek God's face? How do we say, God, mold me, shape me? It's by being submissive and obedient in prayer. By being people who have a faithful prayer life every single day. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet made that declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you desire for Him to be Lord of your life, then we offer the invitation as we sing this song in just a moment. If you're with us today and you've got something that's weighing on you that you would appreciate faithful prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing together.